Well, good morning. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Chris, and I'm so, so, so glad to be here this morning. Uh, if you're a guest with us, or maybe uh, if you spent the last eight weeks enjoying the shore and haven't been to church, um, maybe you haven't heard, but uh, on July 10th, which happened to be uh, my 40th birthday, which feels like so long ago, uh, we got the word that my dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And uh, all of us have had those life moments where one day life was semi-normal because life's never normal, right? So it's semi-normal, and the next day it takes this radical shift with one phone call. And so uh, uh, that phone call just shifted um, our last eight weeks. And I tell you, it's been uh, an amazing experience, to be honest with you. I mean, difficult, difficult moments, stressful moments, moments filled with fear, uh, moments filled with questions, and uh, I just want to say thank you to so many of you. Your prayers, your text messages, Facebook messages, emails, encouragement have just uh, been overwhelming in such a, a great way, and I, so I want to say thank you. Uh, my parents have so uh, uh, deeply appreciated uh, so many of your support in this process. They've been at our house because uh, through some friends, we were able to get my dad into Sloan Kettering. And uh, he had just an amazing doctor, and they performed the Whipple procedure. I knew nothing about the Whipple. Now I know a whole bunch about the Whipple pr- procedure. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with that knowledge, but I could tell you all about it. And uh, right now, his prognosis uh, is great. And so my parents uh, leave. Yes. Uh, they, they finally leave, and they would say the same thing. They finally leave Wednesday. It's been great having them there, but I think we're all ready to say, okay, go back to your own house. And, uh, and, um, and we, we are sad to see them go. But they leave Wednesday to go back to Vegas where he starts chemo and kind of transitions into that next phase. And so we're just praying and uh, just extremely hopeful that um, you know, this is going to be one of those moments that we'll look back on. And, uh, but uh, we'll have many more years ahead of us as well. So um, again, thank you all. And uh, I'm so thankful for my team here at Renaissance Church. They stepped in and filled the gap for me so that I could do my primary uh, job. And it's not to be a pastor. My primary job in, in my life or responsibility in my life is, you know, my family and to walk beside my mom and dad in this journey. So, but I'm so glad to be back here. And uh, we're going to kick off this series called Imagine Today. And I love this time of year because fall's in the air. Oh, it's so beautiful outside. And uh, kids are getting back to school, and there's just this energy and buzz that happens. And so we're just going to be looking this weekend and next weekend at what really should be the mission of the church, what church should uh, all be about. And, uh, and so we're just going to kind of get back into it, and, um, and I think it will help all of us to kind of get a, a great picture on what God designed church to be. And that's important. It's not what we designed church to be, but what God designed church to be. Uh, so let's start here. All of us have an amazing ability to get a, a mental image of what could be or what should be or what we desire to be in the future. It's called our imagination. If you have kids, you have these mental images of, of how you see your kids growing up and, and maybe even their career uh, path or career choices and what they're going to end up doing in life. You have those mental uh, images. Maybe uh, you have a mental image of who you would like them to marry, what type of, of, of husband or wife that they will find to, to, to uh, uh, be a running mate with them. And so you got that picture in your mind and you're just hoping that they find your picture, not some strange picture, right? Um, 
And so you have these mental images. If you're approaching retirement, you, you have this mental image of what life will be like when the alarm clock doesn't go off at 5 a.m., when you don't have to ride the train five days or six days a week, where you're not working 70 hours a week, where you wake up when your body says wake up, and then you look at your to-do list that's empty. You're like, oh, what will that feel like? You got this mental image. I was riding the, the car with my dad uh, uh, this last week. We're heading to Home Depot, and we're in one of these just father-son conversations. And all of a sudden, my dad, who's uh, in his late, late 60s, picked up his iPhone 5, brought it towards his mouth, and he goes, Siri? And he asked Siri a question. It was like that moment. And I looked at him and said, Dad, could you ever imagine you know, when you were a kid or when you were my age, that let alone have a, a mobile phone in your hand, but to have a computer that you could ask a question to? I mean, I'm not sure if, you know, the computer will give you the right answer or not, but you can still ask the computer a question and Siri, with such a lovely voice, would respond to you, right? It's crazy. But all of us, we have our imagination. We have these mental images of what might be, what could be, what should be, what we desire it to be. And for all of us, our imagination is largely populated by images from the past experiences from the past, interactions from the past, learnings from the past. And as we were talking about this series and naming it Imagine, because we wanted all of us to, to, to get this mental picture of the church of what could be, what should be. What I wrestled through is all of us have these images attached to church, don't we? All of us do. For all of us, we have some positive images of church. Maybe it was your first communion. Maybe it was your uh, bar mitzvah or bar mitzvah. Maybe it was uh, uh, your baptism, unless you were baptized as an infant, and I'm sure you don't have that memory, except you've seen photos, but still one of those memories. Maybe it's uh, you know, holiday time, like Christmas or Hanukkah for you, and there's so many great family traditions around this whole idea, and it's attached to this concept of church. Alongside these positive images, we all have some not-so-positive images, don't we? Some dark images, some tense images, some images that have scarred us. Maybe for you, you're growing up and your parents started going through a rough uh, kind of marriage patch, and uh, that rough marriage patch turned into the D word, divorce. And the church that you guys were going to or attending or members of, they didn't know what to do with the D word. And so your family left the church, or worst case scenario, your family was told they had to leave the church. And that's an image for you. Maybe a priest or a pastor that you looked up to, that you admired, had a more moral uh, falling and you attach that priest or that pastor or that rabbi to church. That's an image for you. Maybe you went to a church for the very first time and you walked into that church for the very first time and no one talked to you. In fact, they stared at you. And you just remember sitting there going, is this what church is all about? People staring me down, people giving me weird looks. 
Or maybe you walked into a church for the very first time and it's what I call wacky church. Have you been to wacky church before? If you're laughing, you've been there. I mean, you just walked in. I'm sorry, I'm not talking down on other churches, but there's wacky churches out there. And you walk in going, whoa, what universe did they come from? And you found yourself walking out going, if that's what church is, I don't want anything to do with it. I was in college, and I was part of a a team that uh, traveled around to different churches. We are a musical team. I hate to really classify us as a band, but we were kind of band-ish. We played instruments, and uh, we were kind of good. Now, here's what's hard is uh, we're spoiled here at Renaissance. Our band's just amazing. This doesn't happen in like 99.98% of churches. That's verifiable. Maybe not. But it just doesn't happen. But we go to churches where their idea of worship or music was that one person that uh, uh, drew the shortest stick, and they really couldn't sing on pitch, and they would lead worship time. And so we'd come in, and they thought we were amazing. And so uh, we, we, we came into this church one Sunday, and the, the, uh, the lead pastor led us in. He was so encouraging and so welcoming. And he, uh, he, as we were setting up all of our equipment, he said, uh, hey, after church today, I want to buy you lunch. And we're like, yes, not McDonald's. This is awesome. And so uh, we, we did our thing. We did the entire church service, music and readings, and I'm not sure what it was. We did, we did the whole church service. And uh, afterwards, people clapped for us and walked up to us and thanked us. And uh, we started tearing down all of our equipment. And as we started tearing down all of our equipment, we noticed at the very back of the church auditorium was a circle of men, and the lead pastor was right in the middle of that circle. We couldn't understand the conversation, but you could kind of sense that it was pretty intense, and quickly that kind of intense, quiet conversation turned to yelling and screaming. All of a sudden, that circle of men dissipated and left the building, and we Watch this senior pastor walk down the middle aisle right towards us. His face was just white as a ghost. In this soft, trembling voice, he said, I'm not going to be able to take you to lunch today. Thank you. Thank you for coming. And he turned around and walked out. Our team leader jumped off the stage and, and went to find him because you want to know what, what was going on? Within a few moments, our team leader came back, and he said, uh, you won't believe what happened. I'm like, what? Because he was just fired. And the next logical question in that moment is, why? You know, I preface that we called ourselves a band, but we really weren't a band, right? I lowered the, the expectation here. Well, we couldn't find a drummer for our band, and so uh, there's this amazing invention that should never have been invented when it comes to music. And uh, uh, it was, it's, it's called a drum machine. Yeah, if you're laughing, you know it's that bad. It's this little box, and you hit buttons with your fingers to make drum sounds, and then you record it, and you play it back. It's bad. But we didn't have a drummer, so we used a drum machine. And our team leader looked at us, and he goes, he was fired because... We used a drum machine, quote unquote, in God's house. First of all, find that in the Bible, and and we'll stop having drums. Because I was thinking about this this week, 
You know, all those emotions from that moment come run, just rushing back within me. I mean, anger. How dare those guys? That's not biblical leadership. That doesn't honor God. This man had a family. And so I'm not going to ask us to take those bad images of church and delete them or disregard. We can't do that because they're real. And there's emotions attached to those images. But what I ask for uh, today and next weekend is maybe we could take those images and just file them away in a folder maybe and just set them in the corner. I mean, they're there. But maybe today and next weekend we could get some new images, images populated by what God has said what God taught about the purpose of his church. And so we're going to look at a prayer today. A prayer that was prayed from the very first church. And then next week we're going to look at a, at a conflict that rose up in the very first church. And within this prayer and this conflict, we're going to get a great, great picture on the mission and vision that God has for his church. 2,000 years ago, for today, for 2,000 years from today. It's God's vision for his church. So we're going to be in the book of Acts. It's spelled A-C-T-S. And what's uh, great about the book of Acts is it gives us this great account of the launch beginning of the church. It was just the beginning of the church. It was written by a guy named Luke. Luke was a physician. He actually wrote two what we call books in the New Testament and uh, uh, for many, many years, it was actually not uh, two books, it was one book, and it, one book, and it was volume one and volume two. Volume one is the Gospel of Luke, and the Gospel of Luke uh, just chronicles kind of uh, the snapshot of Jesus' life, especially his ministry, his, uh, his miracles, and what he told people to li- how to live out their life. That was volume one, and volume two was the book of Acts, which is, you know, uh, uh, telling us how the church began, how it launched, what was taking place. So it's a great place to go to really get back to the purpose of the church. Again, not all the images that have populated our minds. Let's go back to God's image of the church. So we're going to get to the prayer today. I promise you we'll get there. It's going to take a little time, but we're going to get there. The church kind of started with about 120 people, is what Luke records. Many of those who were eyewitnesses, to Jesus after he was crucified, after he conquered the grave. Eyewitnesses started with about 120. And then quickly, this little church in Jerusalem exploded to about 3,000 people. Now, give some context. Jerusalem, they estimate the population right around that time was around uh, 50,000 people. So 3,000 people following this new movement called The Way. I mean, that's significant. There's this groundswell, something catalytic was happening. And so one day, Peter and John were headed to the temple. It was a time of prayer. The temple where they had, would, had grown up going to, the temple where they had spent so many, so many uh, hours at. This was very commonplace. And so Peter and John, I mean, we're talking, right, like two pillars of the church. Peter, if you're Catholic or came from the Catholic background, Peter's considered to be the first pope. Peter, the guy that Jesus says, upon this rock, I'll build my church. And John, the beloved. John, who wrote Revelation, a book that gives us this picture of the future, but I don't think anyone really understands it. But it's fun to study. It's John. 
they were going to the temple, and they were coming through this gate called Beautiful, a gate they had walked through countless times, and they were walking past this lame man sitting there begging. This lame man who was lame since birth, and we know he was around 40 years of age. Again, this guy that they had walked past countless times. And this lame man lifts up his voice and says, can you please give me some money? And Peter stops, and Luke records this, this small little fact which is so much power. He stops, and Peter looks at the lame man and says, look at us. Powerful eye contact. Look at us. I want to see you. Because I see more than just a beggar. I see more than just a lame guy. Because in that culture, this lame man, animals were treated better than him. This lame man, they just assumed that his parents sinned. His parents did something so bad that God punished him. In that moment, Peter says, no, look at us. I want to see your eyes because I see in you. I see more than the outward appearance. And you're valued and you're worth something great and you're loved. Look at us. And then Peter goes, I don't have anything to give you. And I just wonder in that moment, that quick moment, the lame guy's like, I need money. And Peter goes, I don't have any money to give you. I wonder if the lame man was like, oh, great. One of those religious types that are going to give me like those trite little words. One of those religious types that's going to pull out a tract and hand it to me. It's like, I don't need your little phrases or your tracts. I need money. I'm hungry. I'm starving. But the lame man couldn't imagine what was going to come next. When Peter said, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. And Peter reached down and grabbed onto his hand and started to pull him up. And when he started to pull him up, his legs and his ankles became strong. And he started to walk and jump and leap and praise God. And they went on their way into the temple. Peter and John walks into the temple. And lame man's jumping around and shouting. Could you imagine that? And everyone in the temple, guess what? They had walked through this gate called Beautiful daily. They had seen this lame guy for decades. And could you imagine the air being sucked out of the room going, <laughs> You see, the purpose of miracles, both Jesus performing miracles and the apostles performing miracles, it wasn't primarily to help that individual or the individual's. Now, I'm sure the lame guy was very thankful. But when you start looking into the purpose of the miracles, it was always to grab attention. It was always to lift people's heads up and cause them to go. (gasps) And then there's something that was taught. And so as Peter and John walked into the temple, and this lame man is just jumping around and screaming, praising God, everyone's attention was grabbed. And so Peter began to preach. Early on when you, when you read Acts, it's, it's, it's quite fascinating because Peter basically had one sermon. One. I've thought about, well, could I do that? Every weekend preach the same sermon? That would be awesome. 
That'd save me about 40 hours a week. I wouldn't know, right? Peter had one message. Now, he said it in different ways, and depending on the context and the people he was talking to, but essentially the same message. Jesus is, is the Son of God. He conquered the grave, and I've seen him. And if you turn and trust in him, your life will be forever changed. That was his message. Jesus is the Son of God. He conquered the grave. I saw him. If you turn and trust in him, your life will be forever changed. That was his message. And so Peter started to give this message. And all of a sudden, the religious rulers started to to hear the rumblings of what were going on, and they started to gather towards the back. And they're listening to Peter saying, Jesus is the Son of God, the promised Messiah, and I've seen him. He conquered the grave, and if you turn and trust in him, your life will be forever changed. But these religious, Jewish religious rulers were conflicted because they disagreed with Peter's message, but lame guy was still dancing around and screaming. I mean, wouldn't you? 40 years can never walk, now you can walk? So they did what any great leader would do. They needed more time, so they took him and threw him in jail to try to What do we do? And Luke records that because of that moment, the church grew to almost 5,000. 5,000 now. 10% of the population of Jerusalem. You talk about the groundswell. The next morning, all the religious rulers showed up. They pulled in all the big wigs. They brought out uh, Peter and John. And they had one question. By what power or what name did you do this? That was a question they asked them. I'm like, you spent all night and you came up with that. But here's a tension. They asked them the question, but guess who showed up? The lame guy. I don't think he slept all night, right? I'm sure he went on a four or five day binge of just jumping, right? 40 years. So they ask him the question, the lame guy is still dancing and jumping and praising God, and they don't know what to do with this because they all knew that this guy was lame from birth. For decades, he sat by that gate and begged, but now before their eyes. They asked the question, and Peter pulled out his one sermon. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus, whom you crucified, Jesus, whom Pilate wanted to let go, and you said no. Jesus, who you chose Barabbas over, Jesus, conquered the grave, and we are eyewitnesses. We saw him. Well, the religious rulers got back together and like, oh, what, what do we do? Because we, we don't want them, Peter talking about Jesus, but yet lame guy's there, and he's jumping still, and we want to get rid of him because he's getting annoying. And so they came back, and they said, okay, we'll let you go but you got to stop talking about Jesus. And I love Peter. You know his response? Nope. <laughs> this is great. Nope, not going to. Got back together, came back. Hey, uh, no, really, we're asking you not to talk about Jesus. Nope. So finally, they, they let him go. They didn't know what to do. So Peter and John makes their way back, kind of to their church, their community, their group of people. And this is where we're going to jump in. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And could you imagine that conversation? So what, what did they say? They, they, they told us to, to stop talking about Jesus. Well, how did you respond? Nope. Oh, what did they think about it? They, they didn't like it. 
They let you go. Yeah, they still let us go. They want to get rid of the lame guy. He's really annoying. He's still, I'm sure he was there dancing. Like he's still jumping around. So Peter and John are telling them everything that went on in jail. And, but just feel the, the tension. I mean, they're still getting over watching Jesus crucified. Even though many of them were witnesses of him conquering the grave alive, they still witnessed Jesus. And they knew persecution was on the rise. They knew the anger was coming up. They knew that these religious rulers were going to do everything they could to squelch this movement called the way. And so this is what they did. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Now, I've studied this before. And there's, it's so easy when you read the Bible to skip over these little transitional little verses, phrases. Because I've really studied the prayer. The prayer is powerful. We're almost there. But what caught my attention this week? I've always just kind of assumed that Peter and John stood up and prayed. Why? Because it's Peter and John. I mean, there's these iconic figures in the New Testament. God did so many amazing things through Peter and John. And so I just always kind of assumed that Peter and John prayed this prayer. I'm sitting at my desk this week, and all of a sudden it was just like this truck hit me. I was like, ah. When they, I'm sure... Peter and John were still praying with them. But when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. It was people like you and me. It's you and me. They raised their voices together. They prayed, and this was their prayer. Sovereign Lord. It's where they started. It's where they started. It's where Jesus started. Our Father, which art in heaven, how will it be your name? They looked up and said, God, you are sovereign. Because when we start praying that way, God, you are sovereign. Your power is beyond our imagination. Your will is perfect. You are God. When we start and we lift our heads up and we go, God, you are sovereign, guess what happens to our issues in our lives they just start to shrink a little bit compared to who God is, don't they? Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. It went on. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up And the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. God, everything that has taken place, the good and the bad, Everything is within your power, within your grasp. You are sovereign. Yes, we're scared. And yes, we know persecution is coming. 
And yes, we know the Jewish religious leaders are angry because they do not want this movement called the way to happen. But God, everything is within your power because you are sovereign. And after they prayed that, they, get, they got to the request side of prayers. I'm not sure for you. I'm sure I'm not the only one, but most of my prayers are, God, I need, God, I need, God, I need, God, I need. In the last eight weeks, I've prayed a lot, God, please, God, please, God, please. And those are powerful prayers. But listen to what their God, I need prayer was about. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Hey, God, you take care of them. Now, we have a list of things that we would like to request for you to do to them, but you're God. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness or great courage. That's what they prayed for. Remember, this is not Peter and John. People like you and me. Okay, God. The persecution is intensifying, God. We, we pray that you will enable us because we're not able on our own, that you will enable us to speak your word with courage, to speak your word with boldness. That was their first request. Their second request was this. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders to the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Because when God does the unimaginable, it gets people's attention. It gets people's heads lifted up going, whoa, there's something I'm experiencing something beyond my imagination. And when that happens, and when people speak God's word boldly with courage, lives are changed. That's what happens. And that's what the first church prayed. You know what happened after they prayed? This is what happened. After they prayed, they placed uh, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Now, I've studied this a lot, and it's interesting. Um, no one really knows what happens. No one really knows what it means for the place that they were meeting was shaken. I don't know if the building shook. I don't know, like, if their bodies shook. I don't know, like, if their bellies rumbled. I don't know, but something happened. Something caught their attention. Something happened. They were like, wow, there's something going on. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God. What? Boldly. God enabled us in the Holy Spirit and gave them the ability to speak the word boldly. And then Luke records this. All the believers were one in heart and mind and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. You see generosity erupted from within this church. It's just what happens when a group of people come together, different backgrounds, different doubts, different questions, different issues, but when they come together and they say, God, you are sovereign, when a group of people come together and say, God, you are sovereign, and we want to join you in your mission, we want to join you in what you're doing, we want to join you to enable us to speak boldly. And when different people from different backgrounds with different 
different thoughts and different doubts and different questions and different tensions come together and they pray that prayer together and they go out. Something powerful happens within a community. It just happens. My question is this, what if we as a church start praying this simple prayer? God, you are sovereign. And enable me to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to do the unimaginable. What happens if we as a church start praying this prayer? God, you are sovereign. Enable me. So many times in church world, I get it. You're like, well, Chris, you're the pastor. You need to do that. That's something you, you're the pastor. And that's why I love this prayer. It wasn't Peter and John. You, you just assume Peter and John would pray that prayer, but it wasn't Peter and John. It was all the people in the church, in a room, together. See, my, my job as a pastor, to be honest with you, is this. One, to communicate God's word. And it's something I take so seriously. It's such a burden that I carry. That I communicate his word that will honor him. Two, it's for God just to leverage who he created me to be. For his church. And this is what I know. I'm here for a season. A season might be days or decades. I don't know. But in this season where God has placed his church into my hands, I want to steward it well. I do. But this isn't, this isn't one of those pastor job things. This is the church thing. This is what God wants the church to be and to become. For people to, to, to understand that he is sovereign. And for his people to to leave the walls of a church and speak his word, word boldly wherever they go. So as Charlie sings, sings this song, I just invite you, encourage you, as he's singing, say that prayer. God, you're sovereign. God, you're sovereign. Enable me to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to do the unimaginable. Tell you, we are so excited uh, about Friday, and uh, the band's going to be awesome because they're always awesome. But I tell you, more than that, um, the amount of food that we're going to be able to collect—not only Friday but all weekend—and I tell you, it's a heartbeat of God's church to help people in need to leave walls and go into the community and be a voice of encouragement, to be a voice of change, to be a voice of love. And love is a verb, it's an action. And so, uh, man, invite your friends, bring as much food as you physically can carry. You know, make your five-year-old fill their backpack with food and watch them struggle down the sidewalk. Okay, don't do that. Um, but uh, I tell you, this ministry season... I just want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. 
It's a powerful prayer when God's church starts praying this prayer. Because we're here today because a group of people like you, like me, sat in a room together and they prayed this prayer. Because of them, we have church today. Think about that. So this week, I challenge you every day to pray this prayer. I actually took my uh, little stopwatch iPhone app thing and I hit start. It took me 6.5 seconds to say this prayer. I think all of you have 6.5 seconds. And I'm sure most of you are going to go home and try to do it faster. I bet you can. But what if you carved out 6.5 seconds of your day as you walked to the train, as you sat on the train, as you went up in the elevator, as you sat in line to get your kids from school? 6.5 seconds. What if you started to pray this prayer? God, you are sovereign. Enable me to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to do the unimaginable. God, you are sovereign. Enable me to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to do the unimaginable. God, you are sovereign. Enable me to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to do the unimaginable. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen when you pray that prayer. The Holy Spirit's going to start doing something within you and through you. And that's the heartbeat of God's church. Not to contain it, but to be his voice and his hands and his feet and his eyes. Let's pray. Lord, you are sovereign. I pray that you will enable us to speak your words with great boldness. And Lord, I pray with absolute expectancy that you will stretch out your hand. to do the unimaginable. In your name I pray. Amen. God bless. Have an amazing week. See you Friday.